Kia ora and welcome back again to Aotearoa Unearthed. Today we're looking at the topic of archaeology related to kids and I have to say I'm pretty interested in this one as I have two boys myself. There's so much stuff, endless paraphernalia related to bringing up kids and I'm keen to know whether it was the same for children from early European settlement in New Zealand. What traces have they left behind and what can it tell us about their lives? Today we're lucky to have Jessie Garland here to talk to us who's an absolute artefact virtuoso. Jessie's an archaeologist who specialises in fitting together broken artefacts and researching them. She's like a master jigsaw puzzle maker who's also a detective. Jessie did heaps of work on all the items that were found in old Christchurch building sites after the Canterbury earthquakes and we're really lucky to have her here today. Welcome to Aotearoa Unearthed Jessie and thanks so much for coming on our show today. No worries, hello. What kinds of things have you found that used to belong to children? Well, we find all sorts of things uh, that might have belonged to children in the past. We find some of the things that they might have uh, eaten. There's a, um, there was a bottle of, of a product called Viral, which um, was for building up the strength of infants and invalids, and it um, contained bone marrow and lemon syrup and various other things that I think sound quite disgusting put together. But it was supposed to make you stronger, so it might not have been supposed to taste nice. Uh, we also find the things that children ate out of, so their um, cups and plates, uh, lots of them are decorated with with the alphabet, as children's plates are today still. Um, we call them moralising China. They're supposed to teach children good morals and work ethic and things like that. And so there'll be a scene with a, a blacksmith hard at work teaching a child that, you know, it's good to be a hard worker. Or they'll have a um, proverb at the bottom about pinching your pennies and being frugal with your money. And there's so many of them, you never quite know what you're going to get. We sometimes find teacups that have the child's name on them which is really great because you often when you're researching a site and who lived there you might not know the name of the children you might know that someone had children but you don't know their names um, so if we find a cup that says Edwin we know that there was probably an Edwin on the site that's that's kind of fantastic I really love that we also find toys find a lot of marbles uh, which were used in all sorts of games in the 19th century often outside although I have seen a few advertisements for ways to play with them inside. Uh, we also find dolls which are usually fairly gruesome when you find them because they're broken so you get sort of a bit of a doll's head but it's been smashed in or you just find a foot or you just find an arm uh, and they can be, I, I've got friends that are horrified by, <laughs> by dolls and by finding bits of dolls but I, I love them even though they're dismembered they're I don't know, they're, they're fantastic. Are the toys always broken that you find? Not the marbles, although some of them can be worse for wear because some of the games that involve marbles involve you hitting other marbles with them. So you sometimes find marbles that are really pockmarked and you can see that they've been well played. Dolls, yes, absolutely, um, because a lot of the time, a lot of the dolls we find the ones where we just find the arm or the leg. The body would have been fabric and uh, the arms and legs and head would have been porcelain. And so as the fabric body tore or rotted away in the ground, um, bits fell off it maybe, or uh, someone was carrying their doll around and the leg fell off and smashed or that sort of thing. So yes, those ones are often broken. There are others we find that aren't so much. I think they were lost uh, rather than thrown away because they'd bro been broken. And I always think about the, the children who lost that artifact. How did it feel for them to, to lose a toy? And that marble or that um, little toy boat or doll that just got lost for 150 years until someone like me picked it up. 
No, it's funny, it does remind me of when I was about four. That's one of my first memories is of losing a little Sylvanian animal. And it was just absolutely <laughs> heartbreaking and I never got over it. But maybe an archaeologist in the future will find it somewhere. <laughs> Things are, are never entirely lost. It might just take a long time for them to be found again. Do you find most of them under the floorboards of houses? Not all, but a lot, uh, especially the smaller things. Toys that could fall between floorboards or sort of down cracks in, in the walls or in fireplaces, those sorts of things will be found under the house. Things like marbles that will also sometimes roll under the house. If kids are playing outside, they hit something too hard and it's gone and they can't quite get under to get it back out. So then we find them. We also find them in, in rubbish pits, which are sort of... Um, just household rubbish that was buried in the backyard in the same way that we would throw stuff out now that's broken except it goes to the landfill. Uh, we found a lot of dolls in those kind of places and a lot of children's crockery. What do these toys tell us about how kids lived in the late 1800s? It tells us that they had play, that they played. Um, a lot of the time that play is, is outside through understanding those games and the toys that they were playing with we can see a little bit of what children were taught by their parents but also just by their society, by their culture. Um, things like the moralising China can tell us things about what adults wanted to instil in their children, the kind of um, work ethic they wanted them to have. Uh, when we find things like miniature tea sets or dolls we can think about what practising afternoon tea teaches us about what children were being taught to be. To, especially for girls um, there's a lot of gendered play with things like tea sets that Girls were being taught how to be a hostess, how to be an entertainer, how to sort of rule that domestic sphere that they were intended to in the Victorian era. Mm. Um, it's different now, of course. Mm. You don't just have to be mothers and wives. I have to say, I'm sure if archaeologists were digging up little girls' toys today, there'd be a lot of frozen princess dresses. <laughs> <laughs> Things like marbles were also a little gendered. I'm not quite sure what they were meant to, what it was meant to teach, but most of the newspaper accounts that talk about kids playing with marbles, talk about boys playing with marbles outside. Do you think boys had more freedom outside? Yes, I'm not an expert on broader kind of childhood in the 19th century, but the impression I get is that they did a bit, that part of that division between girls play and boys play was indoor and, and outdoor. So when you find these items, what do you do with them? Um, when they're first found on site, uh, they'll be bagged and tagged. So. Um, They'll be put together with a record of where on the site they were found and who found them and what day they were found on just so that we can trace back what happened in case anything gets lost or, or misplaced. Um, then they come back to a lab or an office and they get cleaned um, depending on the type of fabric that they're made of. They get cleaned differently. Things like porcelain and ceramic will get washed. Things like fabric will be very carefully handled because it's a lot more fragile. Things like wood perhaps or leather, sometimes we find children's shoes. Things like that will be very carefully dry brushed to get the, the dirt off. Uh, and then after they've been cleaned, they'll come to someone like me who sits at a desk most of the time, unfortunately, <laughs> and uh, we'll figure out what they are to start with and then when they were made and who made them and then we'll put them together with all of the other things found on the site to try and bring together a picture of the people who lived there and how they lived and why they threw these things away and when they threw them away and what that tells us about mm. these people. Mm. And I said you were like a jigsaw uh, puzzle maker, so how much of that do you actually do, trying to fit pieces together? Uh, 
yeah, we do a lot of it, especially with ceramics, because you need to put the whole thing together to see the picture, um, especially if there's writing or a design on it. It means you can identify the design, which means you might be able to find out more about when it was made and why it was made. Uh, but it also can sometimes help us figure out the shape of a vessel. You might have, just by the pieces, you can't tell if it's a cup or a bowl, and it will take time to put it together to figure that out. Uh, we don't do it so much with things like glass bottles because you usually have a good sense of what they look like um, and they're usually not covered in designs in the same way as, as ceramics. But yes, I'd say a, a decent portion of my job is just being a jigsaw puzzle person. So now we'll come to the show and tell part of the podcast where you have an artefact and you tell us about it. So what have you got today? So today I thought I would uh, show you a frozen Charlotte doll. These are, they're a wonderful little artifact. They're tiny, they're probably about the size of my finger a lot of the time. So what is that, sort of six centimetres maybe in height? The whole doll is just one piece, unlike the, the other dolls with the fabric bodies, which have multiple pieces. It's, they're, they're fantastic because of the story behind their names. The name comes from, from a song that was based on a poem um, from the 1840s about a young girl who goes out on a winter's night to a ball and her parents tell her to wrap up warm and wear a blanket but she's wearing a really pretty dress and she doesn't want to wrap up warm she wants to show off her dress um, she's been picked up by her her beau of the time her um, boyfriend I suppose for the, the modern word uh, to go to this dance and she's yeah she's very proud of her dress and she doesn't want to cover it up uh, and she gets cold as they go and she gets colder and colder and colder and then the story just takes a really kind of morbid turn when um, her boyfriend gets out to help her down from the carriage and she's sitting there still and frozen and dead um, and it's basically uh, the poem is sort of a story about how you should listen to your parents and listen to people when they tell you to wrap up warm. Or else you die. <laughs> or else you die. <laughs> I don't know, it's a bit of an escalation <laughs> in, in storytelling. Uh, it's apparently based on a true story, I found out. Um, there was a newspaper account from around 1840, I think, of someone who froze to death on a midwinter's carriage or on a winter's carriage ride. Oh. And then this poem was written filling in the gaps of that story with, with this other longer poem. And uh, yeah, then that became a song and then it became Frozen Charlotte. The, the song and the poem are called Fear Charlotte. So what, what are these little Frozen Charlotte dolls used for? Well, I think they were just used for play, just as little dolls. But they were also, the smaller ones were sometimes baked into puddings, similar to baking a coin into a pudding and the person that gets the piece with the doll in it is lucky. They were possibly also collected by adults. So multitude of uses, but I really love the idea that they're baked into puddings. They're also known as pudding dolls. We'll put some pictures up of them so people who are listening can see what they look like. Now I have um, a question from a kid for you, Jesse. So this is from Sean, who's a year seven and eight kid in Christchurch. And he's asked, was there ever a time when you found something that you wanted to keep for yourself? I think there's been a few instances of that. One of my favourite artefacts actually is, it doesn't sound very exciting, uh, it's a mustard pot or sort of a condiment pot but it's this beautiful thick ceramic that's got a scene on it from a book called Uncle Tom's Cabin uh, which is a well-known book, Harriet Beecher Stowe I think. The, the way that it's decorated, it's a particular style, it's called Prattware and it was multicolored, almost like a painting on on a mustard pot and then the most elaborate beautifully decorated things and we found one from Littleton a little while ago and I would have loved to keep that because it's it combines 
literature and beautiful art and, and artifact and I, I like all of those things together. So who does get to keep these things that you find? It depends. Sometimes they go back to the landowner uh, if they would like them. Other times if they're important they might be sent to a museum. Uh, a lot of the Christchurch stuff is still held all together. It's currently in a, a storage unit um, because the assemblage means We've had so much stuff from Christchurch over the last 10 years and so much of it relates to the first 50 years of the city um, and it's important to keep it all together because it tells a story together that it wouldn't necessarily tell apart, which is basically my PhD thesis. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that stuff is all kept together um, sort of under kind of custodianship of the archaeologists, yeah. And now to finish up, we have a section called Digging Deep, which is where you get the chance to tell us uh, some really interesting or surprising research that's come out of your work, something that we might not know about archaeology. I think one of the best parts of my job is uh, how varied it is and how so many of the things I have to look up and figure out, they come from all aspects of human history. So we might find one day find myself researching um, medical history and another day I'll be looking up 19th century literature and uh, another day I'll be trying to understand dentistry or uh, I'm really terrible at understanding all the things that are used for horses. Sometimes when you're looking up something and you think it's one thing it'll turn out to be something vastly different but the whole journey of how you get there uh, is incredible. There's a shop site that was excavated a couple of years ago that I'm doing a lot of work on at the moment and there was an artifact that was found and it was a whole lot of clear colourless glass fragments with a little bit of gilt paint on them. And we tried to piece it back together because I couldn't possibly figure out what the shape was. It was, the pieces looked odd. You can sort of tell if it's curved in a certain way and you look at it and you think that's not part of a rim, that's not part of a base. I don't know how that works. And it turned out to be this incredible shaped vase that sort of went like this, like it came out really bulbous at the top, sort of like a cup. And then I found a couple of pieces that had holes drilled through them. And those pieces also had little bits of copper wire. I still to this day don't 100% know how I found it. Like I don't know what search terms or how I got from weirdly curved pieces of glass to finding the actual object. But it turns out to be a thing called a luster vase, which they were quite elaborate um, artifacts that had glass pendants hanging from those little holes with the, the chain um, hanging down. And so the prisms, the glass pendants at the bottom would catch the light and sort of glitter. Not quite like a disco ball, but close <laughs> enough. And that was unexpected. Like I wasn't really expecting to find that and that process of getting there. And when you find it, the sense of satisfaction is unbelievable. It's very good. And I guess we said it's like being a detective and that's it, it's when you follow the clues and then you yeah. find the answer. Yeah, and you're drawing on every piece of weird esoteric knowledge that you've ever had about things to think, oh, maybe it might be this, or if I look at this, it seems like it might be this. That's pretty fun in the end. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Jessie. That's just been absolutely fascinating. No worries, thank you very much. Well, that's all we had time for with Jessie. Thinking about what Jessie said um, made me reflect on that the things you find say as much about parents as they do as kids. Back then parents had aspirations for their kids. They wanted their children to be well behaved, healthy, educated, to take their proper place in society. And even today we give kids what we want them to like. This episode has also made me think about how little trace children leave in written records that's in their own voice. They don't own property or vote or write opinion articles in the paper. 
But toys are such a tangible link and there's something so poignant about a used and a lost toy. I just think of the terror I've felt on occasions when thinking that my son's most beloved green monkey might be lost. This podcast is a joint production by Heritage New Zealand, Pohere Tonga and the New Zealand Archaeological Association. Please subscribe to Aotearoa Anuist or I'd appreciate it if you'd share this podcast with your friends and family if you think it would be up their alley. And do send me any questions you'd like asked on future episodes to our archaeologists, perhaps by the Heritage New Zealand or NZAA Facebook pages. 